Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au. Well, it's pretty standard for someone like myself to get up and say, let me introduce myself. My name is David Andrew Ryder. I lead New Spring Church. And that seems pretty um, obvious, doesn't it? That doesn't seem too unfamiliar. But imagine if I actually came up to you and you already know who I am. And I said, well, let me reintroduce myself to you. Would that seem a little bit odd? Would that seem a little bit strange if I said, let me reintroduce myself? Because you may be thinking, well, I already kind of know who you are. What is the point of you reintroducing yourself to me? What is the point? Last couple of months, I've been um, really intrigued with this new series and that's started up on um, SBS. It's called Look Into My Eye. Has anyone heard about this series, Look Into My Eye? No? You obviously don't watch SBS. That's okay. Um, there's a lot of other channels. Uh, but it's kind of this social experiment that's overseen by these neuroscientists, but also hosted by Ray Martin. And the whole premise is that you have these estranged people who have a shared history, but for some reason they're estranged now. And, and the program actually puts up this um, statistics and says there's about 3 million Australians that are estranged, which is a lot of people. And the actual test, the experiment, starts with two people who are estranged sitting on chairs and looking each other in the eye for five minutes. Would that freak anyone out? Man, and this is not, this is not a staring contest, okay? This is actually for five minutes without any words. And then once that five minutes is up, then they can do whatever they want. And the idea is to see that, is it possible that healing, that restoration, that reconciliation could possibly happen with two estranged people by simply them looking at each other for five minutes? So in this program, you have divorced couples, you have children estranged from their father and their mother. A couple of weeks ago, there was actually even a story of this child soldier who was put there face-to-face uh, with one of the guys who was actually, like, uh, over him and just, like, it was a horrendous thing. And in five minutes, can something happen in the soul? And, and the show is actually gripping people in, this, in Australia because they're, 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 they're seeing that it is possible that something as simple as eye contact or something as simple as being reacquainted with someone in that kind of paradigm can actually bring reconciliation, can actually start moving a story forward. You know, we all know what it's like to be acquainted with someone for the first time, but what about after a long period of time, you're suddenly reacquainted? When the introduction is no longer, let me introduce myself to you, where it moves to the second phase, which says, no, let me reintroduce myself to you. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? And what we find in Nehemiah 8, this is exactly what is happening in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's an introduction that's happening. Not just a, hi, how you doing? This is who I am, that's who you are. It's an introduction that says, let me reintroduce myself to you. This was happening in Nehemiah chapter 8. And I dare say for some of us today, it may even be our story today. Let me reintroduce myself to you. Nehemiah chapter 7 ends in the month of October, and um, it ends with everyone's kind of come together, and they're moving into their towns, and moving into their houses. Really good. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the opposition and actually building, and, and, and now let's come to an end, and they're over there. And we're reading the story, and, and we're seeing that it's taken six months for these people to get to this stage. 
And you think to yourself, man, that was a pretty hard and tumultuous six months. Because after Nehemiah gets to go ahead from, to, to actually go home and, and rebuild, and um, we read that not everyone's happy with Nehemiah coming and the people of God actually starting to rebuild walls and rebuild gates. There's actually neighbors who are starting to harass, who are starting to intimidate, who are threatening to come and attack. And in your mind, you have to imagine that the people who are building, they must have been full of stress and anxiety, um, sensing that at any given moment, the enemy could come and knock down these walls, which aren't built anyway, and absolutely take us out again. And this happens for six months and miraculously, Miraculously, the wall's built. It's amazing. It's complete. Six months. The walls are up. The gates, the doors are in place. And everyone is secure. Woohoo! It's good news, right? Here's the question. What would you do after you've secured your safety and all that? Because it's really interesting what these people do immediately after They build the walls, they're protected, they're secure. We read in Nehemiah 8 verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you can read along. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. It says this, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the Lord, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. I mean, let me think, let me ask you this question. Imagine for 70 years, you are in exile. 70 years, you're displaced. 70 years, you're not home. For 70 years, you have not got the freedom to do whatever you want. Then all of a sudden, after 70 years, you come back, you spend six months working really, 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 really hard. No one had an office job back in those days. They had to work with their hands, and they were building, and and there was threat and all that. So after six months, they're building. What would you do after it's kind of all finished? You could eat choice food. Oh, man. Mm. Get me a steak and some wine and some, oh, actually I'm lying. Go get me some biryani and, and some vindaloo and get me, get me something like that. What would you do? Would you like recline and relax and just chill out with your family? You know, you've been imprisoned, you're, you're out of it. Or would you try and strike up a deal with 60 minutes to get a million bucks to tell your story? I mean, what would you do? What would you do? For 70 years, these people, they're in exile for 70 years. And then they return home and, and they work hard. And, and for the very first time, they're safe. For the very first time, they're secure. For the very first time in 70 years, what would you do? It all comes down to this moment. And these people say, preacher, go get the word of God. Well, actually, that's not what they do first. What they do first is actually found in verse 4. You can see what they did. 8 verse 4a says this, Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. The very first thing the people of God do is they start building and preparing a place where they can hear the word of God. Isn't that crazy? I mean, is that the very first thing you would do? I mean, if we were absolutely like desolate and all that, and we all came back, is the very first thing that that you would possibly think in your mind, okay, we better build a stage so they can get up there and open the Word of God and start preaching the Word of God to us. Is that what you would be kind of thinking? Australians necessarily not, but that's the very first thing. They they build this thing. They build this thing. And then we read what, what they do. 
from verse 2 to 3. So on the first day of the seventh month, which is October, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That simply means there were kids there as well. Imagine that, men, women, and kids. It's good to have men, women, and kids in here. It's great. Anyone who could understand, he read it aloud, get this, from daybreak till noon. That's like six hours, right? And he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened intently to the word of the law. Verse 5 says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, um, the great God. And the people lifted up their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Could you imagine if like, there was this thing where you guys came to church on a Sunday and said, Forget 9.30, we're starting at 6 o'clock in the morning. And there are no chairs. You're all standing up for six hours. And Dave is going to like just speak for six hours. I mean, who gets bored when I speak for 40 minutes? Ross does. Thank you, Ross. I may just really bring someone who would really test you out. <laughs> Come speak in our church. Ross thinks I'm boring. <laughs> but could you imagine like, after 70 years, that is the very first thing that they want to hear. It's the very first thing. Some of them had not heard the word of God for 70 years, and then there were others who had never heard the word of God. And that's the very first thing they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear from their God because they hadn't heard for 70 years. I imagine like if something happened and, and, and Andrew suddenly disappeared and 70 years later she came back into my life, of course I'd want to hear. I'd be like, I'm going to shut up. I just want to talk because I have not been in your presence. I've not heard the tone of your voice. I, I have not been in relationship. I, like There is something I have been estranged for 70 years. It would be simply like this thing. They are standing up for six hours. But what they are saying is, God, look me in the eye. Reestablish something here. After 70 years. After 70 years. Wow. What's interesting is the outcome. Verses 9 to 12. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law, the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them. Isn't it interesting? You've got Nehemiah there, and he's got one responsibility. He's the governor. You've got Ezra, who's like the preacher. He's the priest. And then you have these guys who are called the Levites, and they're actually helping people to understand the Word of God as well. That's kind of a picture of the church, right? You know, we've got people, and they've got responsibility. You've got the guy who preaches most weeks. That's me, if you're not wondering. But then we should actually have a broad number of people who are just going in and out of communities and, like, and actually helping people to understand the word of God. That it's not just relying on Ezra. There's actually a body of people who are actually moving, who are going and, and with children and with men and with women and, and are helping them to understand. That's a good picture, isn't it? To understand the word of God. What happens is that... This day, they said, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why are they mourning and weeping? 
If you ever watch that television show, look into my eye, five minutes. We as viewers can't hold back our tears, let alone the people sitting there. Because when you are reacquainted, when relationship is reestablished, when you just sit there looking someone eye to eye, tears start to come and you start to mourn. And, and, you say, and, and there's all sorts of emotions that come. And this is precisely what's happening with the people of God after 70 years. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This, is, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Verse 12, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. Get this, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. That's the reason why. Have you ever heard people say, Oh, just the joy of the Lord is your strength. Anyone heard that? You've been around Christians, like we use that all the time. We Christians use Christianese stuff all the time. No, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. Well, how in the world did you get any joy in the first place? Well, the joy of the Lord actually came to them because they understood the word of God. You're not going to have any joy if you don't understand what the word's not saying. You know, that's why we need to try and make it palatable and understandable. You know, Nehemiah 8 is all about renewal, revival, resetting. Reacquaintance. And as I'm like sort of just coming to the end of this series, and as I've been looking at Nehemiah 8 and just considering and reconsidering, and, and I've been kind of contemplating this idea of, we like this idea of revival, don't we? We love this thing of renewal. And, and, and the thing that's come to me is like, what, what exactly does that mean? What exactly, you know, like, why is it like, like when, it, when that seems to hit that, there's like passionate prayer. There's like people seem to gather. They can't stay away from coming together and worshiping. And there's this irresistible pull for unchurched people to, to come in and hear about God. And as I read through the story, I'm just coming to terms again that a revived heart happens when Christians become reacquainted with their God. Because that's exactly what's happening here. And in essence... God is actually looking to his people and he's saying, after 70 years, look into my eye. After 70 years, look into my eye. And when God says, let me reintroduce myself to you, casualness just seems to melt away, you know. Sometimes I hear people complain about the songs we do, you know, <laughs> as if that's going to change like, too much. And like, I'm thinking, they're kind of, you know, you just don't play the songs I like. And I'm like, in my head, I don't say it to them, but in my head I say, you know what, last time I checked, you weren't hanging on the cross. It's actually not about you. It's not. It's not. When God introduces himself to us, God and church don't become these add-on things, you know. You go through Maccas and or a Hungry Jacks and say, you know what, I just love a, a Whopper with cheese. That would be great, you know, because Andrew doesn't know where I am right now. I can order whatever I want, you know, and I've got cash, so she won't even see it on the, on the online. <laughs> Does anyone else do that? <laughs> She's at home sick. She has no idea. Let's, I'm going to edit that out on the podcast. 
But over there, and then they say, oh, would you like to add this on? Would you like to add on this on? And they've got some great add-ons at the moment. You can get like a, you can add on a burger for like another dollar and like nuggets and all this kind of stuff. And you know, like, but you know, when God reintroduces himself, that add-on mentality just goes. Because he once again is placed front and center, isn't he? Front and center, you know? No longer an adult. Jesus is Lord of all. I've just got a question for all of us, myself included. Eh? When was the last time that we allowed God to reintroduce himself to us? When's the last time? When's the last time you came to God and said, Hey, Trevor, let me reintroduce myself to you. I know you're, you're 75. I know you've been walking with me for decades, but you know what? Even though you've been walking with me for decades, you still don't know me. Let me reintroduce myself to you. Maybe re, let, let me reintroduce. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, so, oh, I've, never, I've never encountered God. And, and he come up to you and say, man, I know everything about you. Before the foundation of this earth, before you were like a, in your, in your mummy's way, I know everything inside. I know your vulnerabilities. I know your genius. I know your gifts. I know your strengths. I know you better than you know. Let me introduce myself to you. When's the last time? When's the last time? When's the last time that you or I have been honest enough and vulnerable enough or maybe even truthful enough to seriously say, you know what, God, we're a bit estranged. And before I do anything else, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the book. I'm going to prepare a platform. I'm going to stand to attention and I'm seeking to understand. Would you please reintroduce yourself to me? Because incredible things will happen with that posture, with that attitude. How does God reintroduce himself to us? It's funny. It's very simple. But at the same time, we generally go to all these different places just wanting to be reintroduced to God, you know. We go to places where we're seeking experience. I go to that conference and that conference, and I love conferences. I love it. Man, I need to go, I, I, I need to, go to someone who's got a prophetic voice. Speak to me, Jesus, through the prophet. And I love it when those times happen. But they're not primary. They're great. They're like little add-ons. They're cool, you know? The place where God introduces and reintroduces himself to us is the word of God. Because that is the very first thing that these people say. Ezra, preacher, get the word. We haven't heard the word of God for 70 years. And there's something in my soul. I am thirsty. I am hungry. I need to hear something from God. Go get it. Get the word of God. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was God. Interesting, John over there, he's actually <clears throat> echoing the introduction of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. He is echoing the beginning of creation where the Spirit of God is hovering, waiting for a word to start creating. And maybe in your life, you've got some places in your heart or maybe even in your world, even peripheral or central, and they are void. And you know something needs to be created here. You need to understand that John 1, echoing Genesis 1, right? He is... 
saying, the Spirit of God is there waiting for a word to start creating. And maybe there are some things that need to be created in your heart. Guess what? It's going to come from here. It's going to come from here. The Word of God. Second Peter 1 verse 3. I'm just going to rattle off a couple of scriptures and we're probably going to end really early because I think I'm almost done. How's good? You're happy with that, aren't you, Ross? <laughs> Ross is my litmus test. <laughs> I think Ross is the only person who's actually ever had the guts to actually come up to me and says, Dave, you preached too long. <laughs> and he was right. But anyway, back to this. Second Peter 1 verse 3 to 4 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us great and precious promises so that through them, you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You know, as we read the word of God, the word of God is full of promises, right? Full of promises, you know, promises. Could you imagine if, I'm not saying it's like this, but just go with me like this. Could you imagine if I gave you a check, right? And, like, it was a substantial amount of money, right? And, and it was legitimate, all right? I'm not like, it's not fake. <laughs> but I gave it to you. And you took the check, and you kind of just put it in a book, and you put it away somewhere. You never deposited it. And comes a point when you, like, you got nothing. You just can't even, like, even feed yourself. And you've got nothing in the bank, yet you've got this check. You've got this something that actually promises you something, but you actually haven't done anything to do with it, anything. That's like the Word of God. There are all these promises, right? That if we work at them, if we actually engraft them into our life, they will produce things in our life. I've got this picture of this um, palm. It's coming up. I think um, Daniel put it up there. And um, doesn't that look good? Now, that palm came from a seed, right? Do you know the cool thing about that seed? That seed was found... um, around um, um, the Middle East, and they determined that when they found the seed, the seed was 2,000 years old from Judea. 2,000 years old. So they get the seed that's 2,000 years old, right? And what do you do with the seed, you? Come on, we plant it. And so they planted the seed, and guess what? That started to grow. So you've got all these promises right here, and you may even be very much estranged from this book, right? Might be, you know? You may be sitting, coming to church and say, Dave, I don't open up the Bible, I rely on you to open up the Bible. Um, open it yourself as well, it's going to help. But, but, but could you imagine, you, you, you kind of get some promises, you get some seed, and, and you may not have, have cracked your Bible open for days, months, years, decades, Ever at all, you may well have like all this seed in here that is literally like thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Guess what? All you have to do is get one of those seeds planted and that seed was 2,000 years old. Are you kidding me? Even I am not a green thumb. I have a chocolate thumb. I am not a green thumb, okay? I cannot grow a thing, but even I can plant a seed. Promises. They're just waiting for you. Just waiting for you. Just waiting for you. Psalm 37, um, verse 3 verse to 6 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness in the light and your judgment as the noonday. Don't you love it? That delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right? Ever found yourself like in the workplace and, you know, I'll speak as a fella and like I won't talk on behalf of anyone else. I'll just kind of say, you know, you're over there you're in the office and, and all of a sudden out of the corner of your eye you see this, this beautiful lady and you think to yourself, she looked good. Anyone been like that? No, speaking to the wrong church. That doesn't happen here. We're Christians. Rubbish. And you've been in that place and you start, and, and these desires start to come and you know these aren't godly desires. And, and um, there's like this, this thing from like, these, you, anyone ever, you find yourself, I've got these desires. That I know they're not from God, but they, they are like, and there's this war that's raging and, and all this. And yet God will say, Delight yourself in me, and I will actually give you the desires of your heart. And if you ever find yourself in that place, it's actually being reacquainted with God, and he will restore and reorient those desires that have been going off. Because I can guarantee every single person in this room, 100%, we all have had, do have desires that need to be reshaped, don't we? Even the pastor does. Right? Just commit yourself to God. But it's about being reacquainted with God, you see. You know? And if you find yourself where you're in this place and you're kind of thinking, I can't go to church, I can't do this, I can't go to God because I've got these desires that aren't lining up. You know what? The very first place you should be going is a place where you're going to be reacquainted with God. And let me tell you, as the pastor of this church, I'm going to be looking down on you, I'm going to be talking down on you, I'm going to probably say, hey man, it means you're just human, let's work on that stuff together. All right? We've got enough fake Christians walking out in the world. We do not need any more around. If we can just be honest, you know, it'll work. But anyway, back to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah 12 ends with this, this thing of joy. And they've got strength and, 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 and this joy and this strength and this celebration. And, and, you, and you wonder, where did all this come from? Did it come from the security of knowing there's a wall that's now what? Well, it didn't come from that. Did it come from the, the comfort of family? It didn't come from that. Did it come from the pursuit of, of pleasure? Well, it didn't come from that. Nehemiah 12, 8, 12 says, with, The people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because... They now understood the words that had been made known to them. There's one reason, one reason alone. They were reacquainted with the word of God and not just reacquainted with the word of God. There was a people who loved each other enough to actually come alongside and to explain so that everyone understood. And as people understood the word of God, strength and joy came. When's the last time you said, God, reintroduce yourself to me? When's the last time? Where are you at this morning? I wonder where we are at this morning. I mean, is there anyone here? I don't know. I, I mean, I can't read minds, which is pretty cool, you know, because I'd probably freak out. If you guys could read my mind, you'd freak out. But as casualness crept into your life and the things pertaining to God, and you would honestly say, you know what, Jesus, he's Lord of some, but he's not Lord of all. Maybe God's saying, let me reintroduce myself to you right now. Let me reintroduce myself. You know, instead of escaping the corruption as we find in, through these great and precious promises, instead of escaping corruption, some of that corruption has kind of seeped in, you know. And 
It's seeped in in some of like my mindsets. It's seeped in in, in, in some of my actions. You know, it's, it's seeped in some of my language. Yeah, I read the Bible. It says, put away all filthy language, but you know what? I just can't seem to. And some of that corruption's actually crept in through your actions, through your words, through your desires. And maybe God's coming and saying, let me reintroduce myself to you. You know? And he's not scolding. He's not angry. He's just saying, we've just been estranged. Let me look you in the eye. Let me reintroduce myself to you. What about joy? You know? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Oh, man, how many times do I find myself so, so tired? Oh, I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes on a Sunday, when it hits like 11 o'clock or something, I feel like I have fallen over the finish line. You know? I'm like, I feel like sometimes I'm one of those runners. I just, I just faint over the finish line instead of finishing strong because I don't have the strength because I've lost my joy. Anyone else like that? And you just lose your joy. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation because right now I hate life and I hate people and everything. The world's going to fall. But we do find ourselves in those moments when everyone's against me. I hate everyone. You know, I know God, my job's to love people, but I hate them right now. And you know where we're at, Right? And all God says, well, let me just reintroduce myself to you. Because you just discovered something which is absolutely fundamental about human existence. You cannot do this by yourself. You weren't created to, so why are you trying to? And you could try to, and it's going to be really hard. You know, you may be driven by ambition. That'll get you some way. But you know the thing with ambition? Enough is never enough. And you fast forward that down 10, 20, 30 40 years, and I have had people who were in their seniors actually coming to me, someone in his 30s, and saying, Dave, I've completely lost. I've been running this race. I've been climbing this ladder. It is the wrong ladder. I've been running the wrong race. What do I do right now? And it astounds me that people can be driven by things and be going for decades and decades and decades and decades just to look to a younger man and says, I was foolish. Let me reintroduce myself. That's what God says. Let me reintroduce myself. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes it can be a confronting thing, but it is an amazing thing. About three years ago, here at this church, I, um, I started leading this church when I was um, 32. All right? So um, I didn't think at the time, but 32 is pretty young, eh? <laughs> I think now, what in the world were they thinking? <laughs> 32. Um, and I came in like nice and green and full of zeal and passion. And I still have a lot of zeal and passion. Um, I guarantee you'll never meet another Dave Ryder. Um, but, but I've been here five years now. About three years ago, I was over here. And God started this conversation with me because I'd been... Nothing was working. The church was just full of conflict and everyone was just like, you, know, you try to do a good job and it seems like everyone just wants to kill you. And, and I was in that place. The world's, this, I was in that place. I was in that place. And like, it was like, God, I want to be anywhere but here. You know? And um, God started this thing with me. And it was actually very, very, he was very close in it. Um, 
but it was very, very confronting. And it was actually really one question that started this whole thing. And he simply said to me, okay, Dave, what's the win? I didn't know what the win was. I came from a church of 4,000. I didn't know what the win was. My responsibility was oversee a campus of like 3,500. I didn't know what the win was. I thought that was the win. You know? I oversaw like 1,100 volunteers, you know? I'd never do that again. That would freak you out. You know? And, um, and I'm over here in this church. And this church, like numerically, the thing's dying. And he said, you know what? Even if I brought like 3,000 people next week, your heart would still be in the same state as it is right now. And he's taken me on this journey. And it's simply been that thing of, David, let me reintroduce myself to you. And let me remind you of what the win is. He is the win. It's him. I could not care less, and I mean this with all honesty, I could not care less if two people rock up or 15,000 rock up. But he has to be the win. And it happens as we put ourselves in a place. And you can imagine how that is. You're the leader of the church. You're the pastor. You're the, they call you senior pastor for a reason. You know, you're like the boss. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to know. And for God to come to the senior pastor and say, you need to get reacquainted with me. You need to get reacquainted with this word. You know, you know something that happens with pastors a lot of times is that as we prepare messages and all, it's like preparing a meal and we become very good chefs, but we forget to eat ourselves. And that is something that, that happens a lot of time. And my love for Jesus has to grow and mature myself, doesn't it? I'm just letting you know that it doesn't matter how you perceive your spirituality and all that. If God has to come to the guy who's leading the church, and I'm not the only one, by the way, it happens to everyone, to absolutely everyone. I guarantee you, you've been walking with the Lord for decades, he will come and tap you on the shoulder this afternoon and say, let me reintroduce myself to you. Because... We all have brokenness, we're all fallen, we're all marred, yet we are in the potter's hand. And that's a great thing to know, isn't it? So I wonder this week as we come to a close, the bank can come up. Would you have the courage, the honesty, the vulnerability to allow God to reintroduce himself to you? Would you have the honesty? I don't know. I have to make myself, I have to have the honesty. I know, I, I, for me personally, I have to have the honesty and say, you know what, God, I have allowed busyness and I've allowed tasks and I've allowed responsibilities to come in. And somewhere along the way, I have become estranged and God, I need to be reintroduced. I need you to look me in the eye. I'm getting back to the book. I'm preparing a platform. I refuse to allow casualness to enter in. I'm standing to attention and I'm seeking to understand. And if we take on those things that these people took on in Nehemiah chapter 8, renewal, revival will hit your heart. It will hit your heart. It will hit it. In the same way, they hit the people of God in Nehemiah 8 
And in exactly the same way, it has hit the hearts of God's people ever since the beginning. God says, let me reintroduce myself to you. How about we pray?